The scripture reading is from Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. morning. There are, there are two truths that the Holy Spirit wants every follower of Jesus Christ to know. Two, two things, believer, about you that are true. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know these things. And when I say he wants you to know these things, I do, I do not mean that the Spirit merely wants us to grasp these things intellectually as if the Holy Spirit's goal is for us to all pass our theology exam. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that the Spirit's desire is for these two truths to become so much a part of your self-understanding that they follow you everywhere you go. On your, on your darkest day, in your deepest valley, at that moment of, of your greatest sorrow or greatest shame, the Holy Spirit just wants these two truths to sort of echo and reverberate in your soul. And you say, what are they? These two things. Christian, the Holy Spirit wants you to know who you are. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know where you are going. So first, who you are. In, uh, in 1977, some researchers at Villanova University and Temple University, they identified a phenomenon that they called the illusory truth effect. And this is the tendency that all people have to believe false statements if they are repeated enough times. So if there's something that, you know, it's not true, but people just say it all the time, eventually we start to believe it. So here are some examples of false statements that many of us believe just because you hear them all the time. Ready? We only use 10% of our brains. You ever hear that? It's not true. All right? Eskimos, or better said, the Inuit, have over 100 words for snow. No, they don't. Einstein failed math. Now, that makes you feel good if you're struggling, struggling with algebra, but it's not true. He did not fail math. Um, the Great Wall of China can be seen from outer space. They went up there. You can't see it. It's not true. Um, another one. I'm glad this is not true. If you touch a baby bird, its mother will reject it. Have you ever heard that? They don't reject their babies over that. Um, Napoleon was short. Actually, for his time and place, he was above average height. All right? He wasn't short. Um, it, I bet mothers invented this or our dads, to, so their kids to address their children. Have you ever heard this? It takes seven years to digest chewing gum. <laughs> no. Here's one. Instead of the bald eagle, Benjamin Franklin wanted the U.S. national bird to be 
They did. Now, who would want a turkey as your national bird? Not true. And here's one more, and I bet some of you have said this. Dogs' mouths are cleaner than human mouths. Dogs' mouths are sanitary. Have you seen where dogs put their mouths? There's no, there's no way that's true. Don't let that dog lick you on the lips. So, but this is what happens when we, when we hear a statement repeated over and over and over. So many people say, we just assume it's true, right? Now listen, that can happen on a personal level as well. We, we begin to believe things about ourselves that may not be true just because they've been repeated so many times by others by our own selves, maybe by the devil whispering them to us. They're not true. Think, things like this. You'll never change. You'll never change. You, you're not really forgiven, not for everything you did. God must be disappointed with you. That's probably why he doesn't answer your prayers. If you don't make your parents proud, you're a failure. Someday you will be all alone with no one to care for you. God would love you more if you prayed more or gave more or read your Bible more or doubted him less, he would love you more. Listen, can I tell you something? If you have turned to Christ in faith and you've placed your faith in him, none of those things are true about you. None of them. They are all false statements. Christian, they do not convey the truth about who you really are. So, believer in Christ, who are you? Well, you see the answer to that in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? The children of God. So if you've come to trust Christ, you've placed your faith in Him, you're following Him by faith. You're not following Him perfectly, but you're following Him. You trust in Him. Listen, do you know who you are? You are not your failure. You are not your fear. You are not your sin. You are not your shame. Christian, you are a blood-bought, eternally chosen, dearly loved, spirit-filled child of the living God. That's who you are. And the Spirit longs for you to know that. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now that phrase here, those who are led by the Spirit, this is not referring to a special class of super-Christians who hear directly from God every day. In the context here, that's not what it means. In the context, this is just referring to any and every believer in Jesus Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit to follow Jesus. Those who are led by the Spirit to trust Christ. In other words, it's talking about all Christians. It's saying, Christian, you are, you are, we are the children of God. So believer, what does this mean? That means you are his daughter. You are his son. It means he loves you more than any human parent ever loved his or her child. Those who are led by the Spirit are God's children. Then it goes on, verse 15. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. This means that God is not your employer God is not your boss. He's not your master. You are not his slave. You do not work for God. 
You do not work for his approval. You do not work for his blessing. You do not work for his favor. God's feelings toward you are not based on your performance. He's not your boss. He's your dad. The, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And now that phrase, adoption to sonship, was a legal phrase in the Roman culture that referred to the official status of one who had been fully adopted as an adult heir. The, 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 the spirit you received brought about your adoption. This means that you, believer, by virtue of what Christ did for you and its application to your life by the Holy Spirit, you now have all the rights and all the privileges of an adult offspring in the household and family of God. You've been adopted by God. And it says, and by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what's that word, Abba? Abba is the Aramaic word for father. And it's strange that Paul, writing to Greek-speaking people in the Greek language, would throw in an Aramaic word. Why would he say that to them? Why would he use the Aramaic word for Abba? Because that's the word that Jesus used when he prayed. You read that in the book of Mark. Jesus spoke Aramaic, and everyone remembered. Whenever Jesus prayed, he prayed like no one else. He would just look up to heaven and say, Abba, Abba. He, he addressed his father. And so it's what Paul is saying here is... Christian, the Holy Spirit wants you to pray like Jesus did, to pray with the same confidence, the same intimacy, the same assurance that Jesus had when he approached his Father. So here's a question. How much confidence did Jesus have when he prayed? Well, I, I love this. Can you imagine you go to a prayer meeting and someone prays like this? This is how Jesus prayed. This is from John 11, verse 41 to 42. Jesus is praying. Here's what he says. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. Whew. That's confidence. Why did he pray with that kind of confidence? Because he knew that when he prayed, he was not addressing his master. He was, he was not talking to his boss. He was not groveling before his slave driver. He was having a conversation with his father who loved him, his Abba. And this, listen, Christian, the Spirit wants you to know that when you come before God in prayer, listen, you are addressing someone who is your father as well. We cry, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's That's clearly describing something very mysterious, something very subjective, something deep within. Uh, the uh, message translation of the Bible renders that verse this way. It says, God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. Now, the question is, do you believe that today? Do you believe that? I, I, I appreciate the honesty of this one pastor who wrote this in his, his blog. Here's what he wrote. He said, there are moments, days, even much longer stretches when I begin to think, feel, and live as though I'm still an orphan, as though I don't really have a heavenly Father who loves me deeply, who, who, one who is involved in every detail of my life, he wrote, when I, get, when I get sucked back into this downward spiral, my spirit shrinks, my fears enlarge, 
trust and rest say bye-bye, and my control issues say we're back. I get defensive. I go on the offensive. In short, he says, I'm no fun to be around. And then he wrote this, but Jesus, you have not left me as an orphan. You came to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the very spirit by which we now cry, Abba, Father, you never have and you never will abandon us. So right now, he said, I abandon myself to you. Those, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Um, this, this one uh, Roman Catholic priest named Brennan Manning, this is the advice that he gave to Christians. And I, I just wonder, what would our... our our coming week look like if every one of us uh, followed this advice. So here's his advice. He says, Christian, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Would you be willing to try that this week? Define yourself as one beloved by God. He said, this is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. So what does the Spirit want you to know? He wants you to know who you are, and he wants you to know where you're going. He want, in other words, he wants you to know what lies ahead for you in the future. So um, this is something that someone posted on the website Reddit. I don't know if you've ever seen Reddit, but somebody posted this. How do you handle feeling like there's nothing to look forward to? I've been going through quite a rough patch, made worse by the complete monotony of life. Everyone else seems really happy and moving on and up in life, and I'm just stuck behind. What do you do when you're stuck in a rut and everything just seems pointless? Another person on Reddit posted this. As you get older, what's the point? I have nothing to look forward to. When I was younger, I still had dreams of college, dating, career. Now I have none of those things, and it's hard. I see all my friends drift away with kids or husbands, great careers, and I'm in the same spot. And each year gets worse and harder as I have less and less to look forward to. Now, would you agree that's a common way for people to feel? Just like the better days of my life are past. I don't have much to look forward to. It's just going to get harder and worse. I know where this is headed. Maybe... Maybe some of you feel that way today. Well, listen, believer in Christ, the Spirit, the Spirit wants you to know what to anticipate in the future for yourself. He wants you to know what lies ahead, where you're going. And here's what it says here, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are co-heirs with Christ. Now, that's a, that's a pretty deep thought. What does that mean? One uh, Bible scholar named John Murray wrote this. He said, the reward that Christ received was preeminently that he was glorified with the Father, Co-heirs with Christ means that the children of God enter jointly with Christ into the inheritance which was bestowed upon Him. Therefore, the glory of our inheritance can be none other than the glory which is Christ's in, his, in the reward of His exaltation. So, Christian, where are you going? What lies ahead for you? What should you anticipate? 
Well, this is saying that because you've been adopted as a child of God through your faith in Jesus, you are now a co-heir with Christ. In other words, the kingdom that God the Father prepared for God the Son will be shared with you, with you. There's a scene in that old movie, um, Annie, the musical. There's a scene in that movie where they sent a limo to the orphanage to, to pick up little orphan Annie to take her to go live in the mansion with, with uh, Mr. Warbucks. And as the, the servant who came to get her is rushing Annie out to the, the door to get in the car, uh, little Annie stops and she says, wait a minute. My dog, Sandy, come on, Sandy. And this dog comes bouncing out, and, and the, uh, the servant says, oh, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Warbucks does not like dogs. You cannot bring Sandy. And Annie stops, and she says, if Sandy's not going, I'm not going. If she's not going, I'm not going. Now, I know it's a weird illustration, but in a certain sense, believer, listen, that's what Jesus does with us. He says, he says to you and to me, he says, I am not taking one step into my kingdom unless you are with me by my side. I am, I am not enjoying my inheritance without you. If I receive glory, you receive glory. If I bask in the Father's favor, you bask in the Father's favor. If I know the joy of the infinite Holy One, you know the joy of the infinite Holy One. If I reign with God forever, you reign right there with me. You are co-heirs with me. That's what Jesus says to us. And the Spirit wants you to know that. To know that in the deepest fiber of your being. Now, there's a part of this verse that I used to hate, but I love it now. Um, and that's, that's at the end of verse 17. It says, we are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings. And I used to think, but the apostle Paul, you just ruined it. It was getting so good. Now you have to talk about us suffering. I used to hate that. I, now, that's probably my favorite part of this verse. And I'll tell you why. Because um, when I'm suffering, when, when I'm going through some heartbreak or discouragement or setback and I just feel like a failure, listen, when I'm suffering, that's when I begin to doubt that God really loves me, that I'm one of His children. Am, am I the only one? Does that ever happen to you? When you're going through a hard time, you say, oh, this can't be true. And, and, and he, Here's why I love this verse. This is saying that rather than raising doubts about God's love for us, our suffering actually confirms that it's true. Why? Why? Because we share in His sufferings. We, we, Jesus suffered. We suffered. It's, it's, it's sort of like, um, so sh suffering is kind of like, it's kind of like the family resemblance in, in it, it, in, the, in the household of God. You know how in some families everyone has a big nose or some families everyone has skinny feet or some families everybody has curly hair. Listen, in, in, the, in the family of God, everyone suffers before they receive glory. It's what happened with Jesus. It's what happened with us. So this is saying that when in the course of following Christ, the path that we're on leads to heartbreak or discouragement or illness or poverty. It leads to hardship or sorrow or just being misunderstood by others. When in, in the course of following Christ, the path we're on leads to suffering, the Holy Spirit just comes along and says, listen, this just proves you're one of His children. This just proves you really belong to Him. Rejoice. 
That's what uh, the Apostle Peter wrote to suffering Christians. 1 Peter 4, verse 13, he said, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. One of the old um, uh, Protestant reformers about 500 years ago wrote this. He said, Even if I am oppressed with anguish and terror on every side, and I seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet I am still your child, and you are still my Father for Christ's sake. I am loved because of the Beloved. So your suffering, your hardship, your discouragement, you know, the devil will want to use that to raise doubts about your status in the family. But the Spirit says, no, this just confirms. You're suffering with Christ because you're following Christ to his glory. You're part of the family too. So, let's hear what the Spirit's saying today. Same thing he wants to say to you tomorrow, but he wants you to hear it today. Have, have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ? If you haven't, today you're invited to do that. But if you've done that, listen, here's what the Spirit's saying. You are God's beloved child. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. He couldn't possibly love you more than he does right now because he loves you with an infinite love. He, he will never love you any less. And what he has prepared for you is the very blessing that is, has, has been purchased for you through the death of his son. The glory of Christ is reserved for you. And the Spirit wants you to know that today. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you make these truths real to us? As only you can, speak to us through your word. Amen.